a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as we round out the program on a Monday, again, we're uh, watching live uh, the uh, procession. Uh, the uh, uh, They have arrived at the Capitol Rotunda, where Congressman John Lewis's body will lie in state in the Capitol. Uh, some fascinating shots from uh, the Capitol Rotunda uh, that is socially distanced uh, in a circle uh, with members of Congress and other dignitaries. Uh, and they will soon uh, bring that uh, casket in where it will lie in state. Uh, we'll continue to follow that. And uh, as we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, Representative Lewis uh, really was uh, one of those linchpin leaders uh, from another generation. And that history is so important. And we've been talking a lot about history of late, and it's be it's become a bit of an obsession for for some folks. It's a casual sport for others uh, to look back on history and reframe or recast or reimagine what happened way back in history and why. And it's always amazing to me. There's sort of this uh, audacious certainty with some of the experts, only some, uh, that they declare the motives and the character of of really complex individuals in. Uh, Societies that were far less advanced than the one we live in today. Always easy to look back from 2020 and and, uh, cast aspersions on those who lived back in the 1700s. But we have to be honest about it. Uh, Poking holes in uh, heroes from the past or picking on the heroines of bygone era, it's pretty easy game because they're gone. It doesn't require a lot of moral fiber or courage to do that. And uh, to me, that's the challenge. Uh, It's easy to do that. The harder thing. Uh, is is to do the opposite, is to write the history. Uh, there are some in the media, there are some academic elites, uh, there's some progressive historians that have uh, begun to wear their bullying of historic figures as a badge of honor. And again, their, their self-righteous judgment uh, it is bad form for one, uh, but it's often very agenda-driven, which is the other part of the problem. And so this is this is my challenge, especially for those who are tough on history, the the cancel culture crowd that we should just cancel everybody out who's ever done anything wrong. Uh, I have a different challenge and it it requires real courage. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the journalist who says, hold my pen. I'm going after the founding fathers kind of courage. I'm talking about real courage. Uh, And the challenge is to write the future. And. I came across this. uh, Many people don't realize that between 1975 and 1979, uh, Ronald Reagan, he was out of office as California governor before he uh, ran and won the nomination in 1979 into 1980 uh, election. And he did a daily radio broadcast is a three minute recorded message. And he had no staff. 
he wrote these all by himself, uh, mostly on three by five cards by hand. And uh, many of these have been uh, brought back to life in uh, Reagan in his own voice. And it uh, it demonstrated a lot of the, the mental firepower that he actually had. He was often uh, ridiculed by the media as being simple-minded and didn't have a, a good depth of knowledge. And, and you could read uh, of these thousands uh, of uh, messages that he did on air. Uh, you could run most of them today and nobody would know the difference, uh, which is a sad commentary in one way because we haven't progressed on a lot of these uh, challenges uh, but it's interesting to me. I, I love to look back at history. Uh, many of you know that uh, two weeks ago I, I did a, a whole uh, op-ed piece on uh, lessons from Jimmy Carter and his crisis of confidence speech, which I think is one of the most undervalued, unrecognized speeches in history from a president from the Oval Office. Uh, and, and so I, I love to go through and read and see those. Uh, but I want to share with you a portion of one of these radio messages. And for anybody in the business, knowing that he did that every day for almost five years. Uh, I mean, that is epic work. That is hard work. Uh, that is not a lot of glamorous work. That's a lot of thinking and writing and rewriting. And uh, But he did this one. Uh, he was asked, as the former governor of California, uh, to write a letter to the future for a time capsule for the city of Los Angeles. Uh, also happened to be the bicentennial year of the, the country. Uh, so he wrote a letter to the future, uh, to those who would be alive in 2076. And uh, at first he thought that would be pretty easy. Uh, he'd been talking about where we are in the nation, uh, but he soon found that it wasn't quite as easy as he thought. I started to write my letter to the future. Suddenly the simple drafting of a letter became a rather complex chore. Think about it for a minute. What do you put in a letter that's going to be read 100 years from now in the year 2076? What do you say about our problems when those who read the letter will know what we don't know, namely how well we did with those problems? In short, they will be living in the world we helped to shape. Will they read the letter with gratitude in their hearts for what we did? Or will they be bitter because the heritage we left them was one of human misery? So again, that's the uh, the first part of, of his message there. And, and think about that. Writing to the future uh, they'll know how we did. <laughs> They're going to know how we did on coronavirus. They're going to know how we did with social unrest. They're going to know how we did with the economy and jobs and opportunity and upward mobility. They're going to know because they're going to be living with the consequences of what we did. Uh, and Reagan asked that question, will they look back upon our day here in 2020? Will they look back with gratitude or with regret? Will there be bitterness and contempt that we didn't do our job and that they're cleaning up the mess that we left for them? Uh, that's the challenge. Uh, Reagan continued on uh, talk, talking about, you know, what that might look like in 2076. Here's what he said. Those who read my letter will know whether those missiles were fired or not. Either they will be surrounded by the same beauty we know, or they will wonder sadly what it was like when the world was still beautiful. If we here today meet the challenge confronting us. Those who open that time capsule a hundred years from now will do so in beauty, peace, prosperity, and the ultimate in personal freedom. If we don't keep our rendezvous with destiny, the letter probably will never be read, because they will live in the world we left them, a world in which no one is allowed to read of individual liberty or freedom of choice. This is Ronald Reagan. Thanks for listening. Again, that was uh, Ronald Reagan from 1976, uh, a series he did on the radio every day. 
uh, five days a week, written by himself, and uh, writing the future. It's it. Uh, I, I love that challenge because, again, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of courage to, to cast dispersions or pass judgment on those who aren't around to defend themselves. And so my challenge would be, rather than trying to rewrite history from the past, instead, let's write the future. Uh, if you want a real test, <laughs> knowing that those who will read your letter in 2120, uh, they're going to know. Uh, you might want to question how certain you are about how things are going to play out or what the real issues of the day are or how we're going to address those in a significant way. Uh, I'm taking this challenge to heart. I'm going to share it with you in the coming weeks as I write my letter to 2120, uh, where I think we are and where I hope we will be when someone opens that time capsule in 2120. And so I invite you to join me. All right, you can you can send it in on the text line, Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line 57500 or on our Facebook page. Uh, share what you would write to the people 100 years from now uh, because ultimately that's going to be the test. Will they see us as a narcissistic society? Will they see us as a society that was just unwilling to come together for the common good? Where Will our choices uh, about the environment and the First Amendment uh, ring true or cause pause and concern for, for those living in 2120? Uh, and they'll know. They'll know how we did. So I think uh, we all could do a little bit better and be a little bit better by spending less time attacking and attempting to cancel every figure from history and focus on the principles, principles of the past, principles that we need today, and the principles that we're definitely going to need if we are going to create a better tomorrow. So if we want to write, let's write the future, not rewrite the past. We can do this. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on KSL's Inside Sources today. And as always, as you go out into the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and above all, do something that makes a difference. We'll see you tomorrow. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.